Welcome to the Calm Collective Podcast. I'm Cassandra. I'm a writer and an advocate on going inward to gain personal growth so that we can achieve a state of mindfulness and total self-awareness. This is a space dedicated to celebrating life in all of its forms, the good, the bad, and all of those imperfect moments in between that make up the human experience. You're not in this alone, and I'm here to remind you that each episode as we dive deep into the raw and the real. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out yet another episode. We're four deep, and I hope you're loving what you're hearing thus far. So today is a big day. This interview rocked me to my core and even made me cry a little, and I'm so excited for you all to hear from one of the most amazing humans that I know. Nicole is also someone going through the workings of deep grief after losing her dad as well and has a profound profession of being a shamanic healer. In this episode, we'll dive into the true realities of being a young adult navigating loss as well as drastic life changes and why sometimes they are absolutely necessary. So last thing, please bear with us as there is a slight static in the background of this episode. I promise you the episode is 100% worth listening to all the way through. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so happy that you're here. You're welcome. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. Yeah. So when I was brainstorming the idea of this podcast a while ago, um, you immediately came to mind as someone that I knew I wanted to be a guest. Um, Not only, I'm just like super inspired and in awe of the work that you do and the bravery that's behind how you got there, but also, you know, because of our similar paths when it comes to dealing with grief. Um, So before we get started, can you paint everyone a picture of, I guess, where you are in this moment, your current surroundings, or what does life look for you right now? Sure. Um, I am at home in Portland, Oregon. It's about nine in the morning, and we actually have a really beautiful, unusually sunny day for this time of year. So I've got sunlight streaming in and my coffee and I am ready to go and really excited to connect with you. I love it. Good, good. Okay, so I guess let's start from the beginning. So um, just a short recap for all of you guys. I've known Nicole since we were six, right? Six years old, I think. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. five, six. Crazy. Uh, our parents are actually really good <laughs> friends. And for a short while yeah. there, Nicole and I were actually next door neighbors, though I think we were in college at the time, right? When our parents lived next door? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was actually when you live next door that your dad passed away um what year was that um 2007 and I'm gonna backtrack because it was actually we were in Arizona oh that's right that's right you had just moved from Chicago senior year of high school so okay okay yeah okay and I you know I don't think I ever told you this story but I remember that my parents were out of town when one of our parents' mutual friends. I don't remember who it was, but they called my house, and I happened to be home. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I answered the phone and just remembered them saying that I needed to get a message to my parents, and it was important, and that's when they told me. Oh. Yeah, and I just, like, couldn't stop oh. thinking of you. It was so awful, and and then just having to share that news with my parents was one that one of their friends was gone. It was just, like, so wow. heartbreaking. And, you know, it's not a position yeah. that you ever think you're going to be in, having to deliver that news to your parents, but... 
Oh, it was devastating. No, definitely not. Do you mind sharing with everyone what happened and like the process of how you found out? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually had a pretty jarring phone call as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was in my junior year of college at the time, so I was 21, and um, studying abroad in Argentina. So I was down in Buenos Aires, and I had just finished my second semester there and was kind of hanging out for a couple extra weeks just to really take advantage of the time Mm -hmm. um and came home to the apartment I was staying in like midnight on a Thursday and my phone rang which was super weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so I thought you know my my friend from upstairs was calling me who I had just left um and it was my mom and she said you know, is, is your friend there with you? And my stomach just mm. sank to the floor. So I was like, okay, what's going on? Something and, wrong. Yeah. Um, she said, you know, daddy's been killed in a car accident. Um, and it was like the most deafening second of internal silence processing what that actually meant. Um, and then, you know, from there just total, devastation um and really you know it it was hard to know that my mom was making that call and you know Mm -hmm. my brother and sister were home at the time and so um just imagining also their experience through that day of really not knowing what was going on and rushing to the hospital Mm -hmm. and um you know I had I had a totally different version of the experience um and it it's it's interesting how you know one event can touch different people in so many different ways yeah right and I was actually going to bring that up because I feel the same way as far as me and my sisters we all you know we were all there with my dad when he passed but we all took it so differently we all had such a different interpretation of what that felt like to us and what that meant for us so how would you say that you and your brother Michael and your sister Caitlin handled it like how how was it different for each of you if you're able to articulate um, totally I think for for me one of the really interesting learnings about that time is you know I I love my family and I love my siblings and we're all very different and have very different ways of engaging with the world and so it was like this moment of compassion and recognizing that we were all going through a really hard time together in really different ways Mm -hmm. um and also that we were all kind of (laughs) hanging by our last nerve in terms of you know just feeling really fragile um Mm -hmm. and so there was, I think, a lot of just space and allowance of each other to kind of process in the way that we needed to process. Right. Um, no judgment or expectations. We, right, right. And, you know, realizing when I overstepped a boundary, like, oh, wow, yeah, that's actually not okay because my sister's also having a really hard time with this mm-hmm. or, you know, wanting them to grieve in a certain way. And it's like that that doesn't work and that's not supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of learning for me in that too. Um, And we, you know, we had 
a good few days together um, before we all, between when I got home to Arizona, which is where my family was living at the time, um, and then we had family members come down to be with us, and then we all flew up to Wisconsin, which is um, where my dad is originally from and is now buried um, for the funeral services. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then how those beginning moments, I guess I would call them, yeah, I guess just like the beginning stages of grief. I don't, I don't know if I really buy into like the stages of grief um, that are publicized yeah. all throughout the internet. I, I, I certainly didn't follow suit that way. Um, yep. And I think that can be really confusing for some people. But I guess my question is, those beginning moments, what were those like for you following your dad's death? Like, how did you begin to gain your footing back to what my family calls like a new normal? Because nothing's ever the same. Sure. But how did sure. you, yeah, how did you start like paving a way towards healing? What did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, well, I would say... Initially, it was a lot of, like, finding those pockets of time where I could break down Mm -hmm. and just let the sobs out and let the grief out. And, like, it almost felt like venting and just releasing a pressure valve. So controlled emoting, isn't that what it's called? I learned about this where it's like you're setting up a time to feel. Oh, yeah. 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 I've never heard that term, but that sounds exactly right right Um, where you're just like it's almost like self-inflicted pain but it's so necessary right it's like okay I feel this welling up and I have time right now so I'm just gonna let it all come out as much as I can so I can pull myself together and you know do my senior year of college Mm -hmm. and apply for jobs and figure out all these other things that I was kind of working through at the same time when I even do Um, that now so like I will um it happens like I would say a few times a year now it's been four years for us but I'll still pull out my dad's uh, memorial service dvd that our friend recorded and I'm like okay I'm doing this I'm sitting on the couch I have my tea I'm lighting a candle I know this is gonna hurt like hell but here we go because I have buildup and it's affecting my life you know and I think that's so healthy because otherwise it really, it, it does. I, I think one of the best things I've heard just even in the past year about grief is that grief is very patient. It will wait for you mm-hmm. to get to it. Oh, I love that. make the time. It's so true. And it's yeah. so true. Mm-hmm. I think there are people who, you know, carry it around for decades. And so I really wanted to proactively process it as much as I could because I I knew that this was a really formative life change and it was something that I knew could either be really destructive or an opportunity for a lot of learning and Mm -hmm. growth and focusing on what I really wanted to carry forward of his legacy. Right. Yeah. And I love that you say that because I remember when I was in grief counseling immediately following it, um, my therapist had said, 
you you're handling it really well. Like you're you've come you've accepted it. I think is what she said. You've accepted mm-hmm. this, and I was almost like super offended by that. Like I was like, no, <laughs> because I feel like you're telling me I'm I'm like okay, and that's not at all right. what she meant. But she was just like, okay, you have absorbed this as a reality, and now the painful part starts. You know, um, right. and now I'm finding the power in that. That I I instead of pushing it down and pushing it away and waiting for grief to pop up whenever it wants, like I decided to handle it head on. And while I'm still doing that years later, you kind of get, like we were talking about the controlled emoting, like you get into a a rhythm with how you're going to, how you're going to nurture yourself. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, it's, I think it's interesting that at first, like I got blindsided so many times by like oh I saw the commuter train that my dad used to Mm. take to work and Mm -hmm. it was like total meltdown or you know Mm -hmm. someone said something that reminded me of something and total meltdown and eventually it's like you kind of clear all those triggers once they happen once and kind of get back to this place of more equilibrium and being able to move through the world and have Mm. things evoke those memories but actually experience them somewhat positively or think right. back fondly without being totally derailed by by the trauma of it. Mm-hmm. Is there still, do you still have one trigger that lingers? Like all these um, years later? Not specifically, but then, you know, even anticipating this conversation, there were like certain things that I was thinking back on where it's mm-hmm. like, I think when I get triggered or sad it's like it's when something surprises me or when I have a thought about him or about missing him or something that that I haven't had before mm-hmm. um and it's been 10 years so that doesn't happen often but it's, it's like oh wow yeah there's still some there's still some feeling in there because I think to your point about you know getting offended about having accepted what happened it's like we can have a lot of judgment around our own grieving processes oh, too yeah. and whether oh, yeah. it's really okay to let go mm-hmm. or it's really okay to be happy or mm-hmm. move on to some extent. Um, and so that, you know, I think just sorting through those things was a big part of the process for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, and I've told you this so many times, but for everyone listening, um, this might sound dramatic, but I mean it. <laughs> Nicole quite literally um, saved me from going down a really dark path. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, like at my dad's service, Nicole showed up alongside a lot of our other childhood friends and it just like rocked me. You became such a source of comfort for me. And, you know, you spend all these years not talking and admiring and respecting each other from afar, but then something life altering happens and certain people just show up and it's, so powerful but did you have was there anyone that you felt like you could turn to and be like you get this like our stories are different but like I'm finding comfort in the in the commonality of this crappy situation totally yeah because for me being pretty young for losing a parent when it happened Mm -hmm. um you know, I knew it was like my mind immediately went to the two other people I knew who had Mm -hmm. lost parents Mm -hmm. at that point in my life. Um, and so there was actually another girl from our high school who had gone through, um, losing her dad while we were still, um, 
at school in Aurora. Um, and so I, I think actually she reached out to me because mm-hmm. one of our mutual friends had kind of let her know what was going on. And this wasn't a person that I really had much of an ongoing relationship with. So it was kind of similar. Like she just popped out of the woodwork and was like, Hey, I heard that this happened and I just want you to know that I'm available to you. Mm-hmm. And we had this really beautiful correspondence mm-hmm. where, you know, our email gap was probably like three months on either end, but it was just so lovely to be able to sit down when I needed to process mm-hmm. and just share and know that she was still processing through a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and really just knowing that I wasn't alone in how I was feeling mm-hmm. and that, you know, I, it wasn't an isolated experience where I was the only right. one in the world kind of suffering right. that pain. Yeah. And I think one of the things, too, that is just different about that kind of relationship or connection is that there's no, like we talked about, there's no judgment. And you know, even for us, like our stories are so different. I've said, I think I've said to you, but I've said to other people as well, just like, you know, I, and I don't, I don't mean to like say this and make you feel heavy, but like I was there when my dad passed away. I got to say some things like I can't even put my finger on what that could feel like to just have someone taken from you. And it like makes me want to cry. I just can't, I can't properly wrap my brain around that. And so for me, like one of the first things I thought was that is so awesome and beautiful and huge of her to reach out to me when in my head, it feels like something was just taken from her. And like, does that make sense? Like, I just think that, that, yeah. yeah, that area of like no judgment of like our stories aren't the same, but they're the same. You know, um, right. Well, and, you know, on the flip side, it's like how I think the process that you had, it's like we either have something happen suddenly or mm-hmm. we sort of know it's coming. And right. I think, you know, I, I think from my perspective, it was the same thing looking from the other side, like, oh my gosh, I don't even remotely understand. And so I hope, yeah. <laughs> I hope it doesn't come off like, you know, I actually get it at all because in some ways, you know, each experience Mm -hmm. is uniquely difficult in ways that I think are hard to understand if it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. And either someone being taken from you or watching someone be in pain, I guess both are, yeah, it's all relative pain. And I think back to like what we were talking about with, you know, processing it different from our siblings as well. Um, I think that that kind of relates to that too yeah yeah so ugh. and I find so much comfort knowing maybe it sounds silly but like just that our dads were friends and obviously they probably still are oh my gosh yeah (laughs) there's a lot of comfort in that so (laughs) yeah your parents are just the loveliest people and I it hit me really hard um hearing about your dad as well kind Mm -hmm. of through his process um it just you know I think what they had in common was just being these like bright charismatic super loving super engaged involved Mm -hmm. people and it's like it's really you know aside from just even the relationship of my dad or a neighbor and family friend it's like there there's a grief that kind of 
extends beyond the personal to, right. you know, what the world is actually losing as well. Right. Yeah, that's perfectly said. So I guess in in relation to all of this and just like, you know, taking taking care of yourself in the grieving process, how do you wrap yourself in self-care? What, what do you do to take care of you? Do you have any sort of a rhythm or anything that feels really good for you that lands well? Yeah, um, I would say particularly in the grieving process, um, some things that were helpful for me were, again, kind of the, the controlled emoting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I I had this ritual that I would do where I would light a candle, and I can't remember if I read this somewhere or if I just came up with it, but it was like I would stare into the flame of the candle, and it was like if I focused enough on it, it felt like it just opened up this light, and I could mm. almost, like, feel my father in the room with me. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, and that kind of got me interested in, that was a time when I was starting to explore different avenues of healing and how to work with emotion because I, I really didn't want to be in that state of just sadness and right. despair forever. Yeah. Um, and so it really got me looking inward at sort of how my emotions were showing up, how I was processing them um and just a really like compassionate self-loving like non-judgmental process of discovery where I I just gave myself a lot of space and permission to be wherever I was and just observe it and love myself mm-hmm. through it um and because and so of I it, think yeah. yeah and so it's like that self-loving kind of non-judgmental neutrality is something that um has really stuck with me is really important yeah and it's not easy it's I think for anyone who's kind of going (laughs) through that yeah I mean like our inner critics are so terrible sometimes and yeah the whole ego versus intuition and I think I think it's really good to hear that it didn't happen for you overnight and you know for people like you and me who have been through something traumatic I think that yeah. that I hope that makes people feel like it's it's attainable because even even going through re- something really bad, um, there's there's totally. space yeah there's space to become self loving and you know I don't know about you but I almost felt like I had no choice like you said it's either I do that or I self destruct oh, yeah. yeah I'm going yep. down yeah <laughs> or I'm rising up yeah. I have one choice absolutely absolutely yeah. so um, I think it's oh go ahead no you're good. Um, and so I think one of the other things that it's made me more aware of is just even all of the micro cycles of grief that we Mm -hmm. go through on an ongoing basis. So it can be the end of a relationship where the person Mm -hmm. is still living, but there's a letting go process or leaving a job or leaving a friendship or just any of those kind of micro cycles. And Mm -hmm. so it's made me realize how much of a, a presence grief is in our daily lives and I yeah. don't know that we necessarily think of it that way um but we're constantly having to learn how to let go and create space for new things yeah um, it's so true and so these tools really apply you know in the most extreme of circumstances and in things that might seem really trivial but they hit home really hard for mm-hmm. whatever reason mm-hmm Speaking of letting go of a job and your path towards 
you know, healing and channeling emotion. Can you talk about your, I, I would call it a drastic transition, right? From your corporate life yeah, yeah to where you are now. Yeah, it was pretty drastic. Yeah. Can you yeah. give a little backstory as to where you landed after college? So sort of just like, yeah, where you sure. ended up after college and how you got to where you are now and what you're doing. Sure. Um, so I started my post-college career in New York City um, in corporate marketing and communications um, and so did that for about the first six years after college mm -hmm. and in many ways that was really me honoring kind of the way I had been raised um, to follow in my father's footsteps sure. and so it felt really important to kind of explore that um, and what I ultimately realized was I was not happy and I was mm -hmm. not satisfied in that environment um, and I think that was something that after watching a lot of parents and folks in kind of our, our circle who had a lot of external success but weren't necessarily satisfied in their work, mm -hmm. um, I was really committed to not being one of those people. And so I really wanted I to preempt that. my midlife crisis yeah. by creating yes. a like, late 20s crisis. Yes, I am with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, let me just get this out of the way now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it really works that way, no. but <laughs> it certainly set it up. Yeah. Um, so could I you, could of, you, you know, like, I want to ask, could you feel it brewing or was it, did you feel like it was more like you woke up one day and you were like, I need a change or was it something, <laughs> was it slow, was it slow brewing? I think it was slow brewing, but the funny thing is, I don't remember being conscious of that. And then I go back and look at my journals, and it's like, I was writing about this stuff for mm, years before yeah. it ever reached a point where I was willing to let go. And actually, for me, I had <laughs> the somewhat good fortune of an external catalyst where I just got totally blindsided by a really terrible annual review where... There was just like no bouncing back from it, no matter yeah. how hard I tried. Mm -hmm. And that, despite being really traumatic for me at the time, actually ended up being the best possible thing that ever could have happened. A favor from the universe. <laughs> I Yeah, I would have kept like running up against the same wall right. forever because um, that's just my personality. Sure. <laughs> and so for me, I've kind of needed sometimes these like really jarring like catalysts for change to come from the outside and show me like this is not the right path for you and I think that's so important uh, too to focus on for anyone like for those that are listening who take bad news or yeah like a bad review that is such a good example and and turn that into I'm the worst I'm doing something wrong rather being able to look at it externally and say like okay what else could that mean like this is a right those are awesome and perfect opportunities to analyze your life what's it looking like right now how would you how do you actually feel in your own right. space you know is this is this a sign is this right. you know um a window for me to be able to create a new opportunity or you know do I want to keep do I want to keep doing this? And that's okay too. But being able to recognize it as, right. yeah, maybe a time for analysis. I think that's a really good, a really good point. Yeah. And I think these, these crisis points, it's like, it's so helpful. Mm -hmm. Again, whether talking about loss or any other situation to just take that pause and 
use it as a, a time to reevaluate and make choices. And mm-hmm. I think if you can kind of work around the like shame spiral or other cascade of emotions that can get in the way from seeing, it's like there are so many opportunities in those situations to really find a new way of yeah. doing things. Right. Um, so you you went from corporate marketing in New York City to yeah, Portland, yeah. and so, <laughs> so in my case, uh, I went like totally off the reservation. Went to South America for six months mm-hmm. because I, you know, didn't really know at all what I wanted to do, and that's when I landed on this idea of being a healer um, and really actually focusing full-time on helping people, which had always been my passion anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, very true. So I, Ever I, since I, you were little, seriously. Through, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, if I could just be a professional friend, that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> so anyway, there were like a long series of intermediate events that kind of guided me towards Portland, but um there was a, a career path that I was interested in pursuing here in natural medicine. And I had a very good friend in New York when I showed up in her office after my six months of travel and tried to tell her that I was like coming back to New York and going to get a job and had all these great ideas. She was like, what? Like, get out of here. You just mm-hmm. left for six months. Like, what are you doing trying to recreate the same thing again she was like if you want to go to Portland eventually go now that's and a solid so, friend <laughs> and, I, and I was like okay I want to be mad at you for messing up all of my plans and you're totally right yeah. so that's what I'm gonna do um and so landed in Portland about like a month later having just like totally upended my whole life uh-huh. um and since I I guess I've been like sort of on this post-employment streak for about three years now mm-hmm. um, and really diving into studying different forms of healing and um, using my marketing skills in more of a one-on-one consulting kind of setting. Mm-hmm. So actually helping people get to the heart of their passions and what it is they're trying to create in the world and then helping them with the tools to implement it, Mm -hmm. um, which actually is not a far cry from energy healing work, um, which is the other part of what I do. Mm -hmm. It's it's really just all about kind of helping people tap into who they are at their core and really giving them the tools to embrace that and love it and bring it into the world as fully capable and empowered people. Yeah. And you guys, I have to say that I, so Nicole and I are in talks of setting up an appointment for myself. And one thing that I loved about Nicole's approach was, you know, with our back and forth emails, she was able to come to the, the determination that I I didn't need, maybe I didn't need an appointment at this time in my life. Um, and I thought that was so interesting. I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. But I have to tell you, even just your, I, and I, I did tell you this, your emails are just <laughs> like powerful. I'm like, I want to reread oh. this every day. It was just, you, you really do have a knack for even just making people understand where they are in that present moment when you're emailing them. I've not, I have not felt that present in so long than reading your email. It's, oh. it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain, but yeah, you really Great. do have, you yeah. really do have a gift. And I think 
Thank you. Are you, would you call yourself a shamanic healer? Is that a title or is that just like a part of what you do? Yeah, it's, it's a part of the studies that I've been in is, is the study of shamanic practice, which okay. is ultimately kind of being someone who walks between the worlds is what they call it. And so it's someone who's really tapped into spiritual realms and energy medicine and healing and has the capacity to take that like energetic information or healing energy and actually translate it into physical form. And so a lot of times that can come through an email or through words or Mm -hmm. through just sitting and really connecting with someone in that way. Um, And then there are a lot of more intensive tools that really look at where trauma has created soul loss or internal imbalance Mm -hmm. or knocked the chakra system out of alignment or where belief systems have kind of gotten out of whack. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is a really powerful set of tools available in those realms. Um, And that is definitely an important part of my passion and my toolkit um and I think I'm I'm still working on on my title yeah sure well and one thing so when Nicole and I were talking about talking prior to um recording this episode I had said that I really wanted to hone in a little bit on her work because for me that area of healing was the one thing that sort of saved me um again going back to the you have a choice you it can destroy you or it can turn into something beautiful and I think grief therapy was necessary just to get my anger out for the most part but really getting my chakras in line and reiki and seeing mediums and I know it's not for everyone but I I told Nicole I feel like it's important to vocalize that like I never really looked into this stuff I didn't really know anything about it and it just kind of came out of left field where I was like I'm desperate I'll try everything and this really worked for me so I think just vocalizing it as an avenue for anyone who might be going through grief and who feels stuck just in life in general that you can't it can't hurt to try it and um, I mean I'm living proof that if you're open to it it's pretty powerful absolutely and I think even science in so many ways is catching up to the wisdom in a lot of these ancient traditions Mm -hmm. and just understanding that energy is everywhere and every molecule is connected to every other molecule and so it's I think it's really a great shift that so many people are starting to pay attention to where emotion sits in the body, where Mm -hmm. we get stuck, all these different layers of our experience that go beyond just kind of trying to override what we see as weakness through force or trying harder right. a lot of time we really do need to look at our internal systems and it it just brings so much more peace and balance and ease into life and it's really you know it's, it's healing but it's also a different way of looking at ourselves and looking at how we live and how we relate to the people and the space around us um and so for me that it, it kind of started in the same way where I just I needed something to change Mm -hmm. and so a lot of my focus at this point is you know how do we how do we do humanity better from Mm -hmm. the micro individual level to how we structure our systems how we communicate 
Um, and so really just bringing a lot of these principles to all sorts of avenues. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who feels stuck, I suppose, living a life that isn't their own? Um, not to say that your corporate corporate job wasn't your own, but you know, you started to disconnect from it. So how do they gently break free from that without disrupting their own life? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, fear was one of the big signposts that kind of showed me where I was internally really wanting something, but also really convinced that I couldn't have it Mm -hmm. and looking at okay like in this situation I'm really terrified this is what I'm fantasizing about doing like leaving my job finding another path but I'm coming up against just this like paralyzing well of fear Mm -hmm. and so I actually sat down and was like okay like what is my fear trying to show me and it was like oh it's showing me living on the street with no house and no money and no one to take care of me, completely abandoned and Mm -hmm. alone. And at that point, I was like, okay, so this is obviously not rational at this particular point in my life. And so where did this actually come from? Mm -hmm. And then that kind of opened the door to look at things that I was really taking as as true or Mm -hmm. necessity or like insurmountable rules or barriers that I was forced to adhere to. Mm -hmm. Um, And that to me kind of cracked the doorway open to other options. Um, And I love that. I love the, I love the, um, the point on, you know, writing down what the fear actually is. And I've talked on the blog so much about free journaling and I truly hope it's getting through to some people because my sister, Brittany, um, introduced me to that. And I can't tell you how many things I've cracked that were holding me back. Awesome. Yeah, just by writing to write. And I think people's fear is that journaling has to look a certain way or what if somebody finds it? Then you burn it. You write it, you receive yeah. it, and you burn it. You know, it doesn't have to awesome. coexist in the world. But yeah, I think that that's a really good piece of advice for people to, you know, kind of get in touch with their fears by just writing it out and finding yeah. out what it is. It could be and so silly. Something that, <laughs> like totally. living and on the street. <laughs> something that you really, right, <laughs> right. And so if there's something that you really, really want and you really, really feel like you can't have it, to me, that's a great starting point. It's yes. like, well, where, where is that voice that's telling me no coming from? Because yes. most often it's not anything that's yours or that's real. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like the analogy so, of when you yeah. have a nightmare and someone was like, well, what was it? And then you say it out loud and you're like, that's not very scary, you know, but, totally. in, but in your sleep totally. cycle, you're like, that was terrifying, you know, or totally. getting hurt and you're fine. And then your mom asks how you are and you're like, I'm really hurt. You know, it's like that weird right? psyche. <laughs> yeah. So totally. what would you, what would you yeah. say is your greatest life lesson thus far? In your Um, early 30s. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, definitely loving myself Mm -hmm. has been a big part of my journey. And just knowing that whatever happens, I have my own back, that Mm -hmm. I am always safe with myself, that 
Mm, I love that. Um, I am my own biggest advocate and that I always have, no matter what, a really loving, beautiful space to sink into, no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been really helpful in just getting through kind of, you know, scary life transitions or taking risks or not really feeling like I know what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Having myself as a companion has been, like a present and loving companion has been really beautiful and helpful. Mm. Yeah. And you've, you know, you've done the work too, which is something that I think that's worth saying out loud because you know, the instant gratification where people want to maybe listen to this episode and then just turn on a switch and be like, right. And feel that way with themselves, but it takes practice and it takes devotion and trial and error, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of started doing this thing that feels really silly, but it's like when I find myself getting angry or in a panic or even like judging someone else, I'll stop and I will look at myself in the mirror and just say, Nicole, I love you. Like, mm. I love you. Everything is fine. <laughs> oh, I you know, love that. All of these reactions yeah. come from so much. It's, it's always coming from fear or from like, this worry that we're not going to somehow get our needs met. And so if you can just stop in that moment and say, you know what, in this second of time right now, like, is there anything that I need for my survival and my well-being that is not in this room? Yeah. And that was actually something that I started um, doing after my dad died. And I really think it kind of got me through the first year or two where it was just really, really hard. Mm Mm-hmm. One other thing on that note, something that I think a a transition that I made. So I really am going back here pretty far. But when, whenever I would feel that the overwhelming presence of like my dad saying hi or checking Mm -hmm. in, it would bring me to my knees and it was crippling. I couldn't take it. It was, I couldn't recognize it as like a soft hello, right? It felt like it was grief just taking me with the tidal wave. And now... Um, I actually saw a healer a while ago and she said, when you feel that like the hair stand up on the back of your neck or you get goosebumps or you feel that overwhelm, if you can find a mirror to look at yourself, if you can find a mirror to look at yourself and recognize that you look so much like your dad and just breathe that in and absorb it in as a, okay, you've got me, right? Like you're being cradled. You're not, you're not being attacked by grief. He's just coming to say hello and being able to like, I think there is something about connecting with your own face. Like that sounds kind of silly. Like you said, yeah, yeah, being able to like stare at yourself and see what truly is and not, and not just be lost in your own, in your own thought. And I think that's where it's really easy for us to go dark, right? Is when we don't have something to really focus on. So I think that's such a good, a good piece of advice. I'm going to try that. I love that. Yeah, and I think just one more thing that's coming to mind um, with what you just shared is another thing is I think when when we feel like we've lost something that we've really depended on in some way, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the grieving process is this fear that we're never going to have that thing again. Yeah. And so I think for me, recognizing that I carry all of those same things that my dad was able to offer me in terms of love and validation and encouragement and pride and all of these things. It's like all of those are still 
inside of me. And so there's been a, a process in having to cultivate them mm-hmm. towards myself and find them. Right. Um, but it, it's, you know, sometimes those things that we miss most are actually kind of pointing us to, to things that we can really start to offer ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like um, you said, honoring the legacy of the, the person that's passed. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I always ask that question of like, what would he do in this moment? Or like, how would he have treated that situation? Or yeah, totally. I love that. Um, One last question. So this is the question that I try and ask everyone that I interview because I feel like everyone has such unique answers, but is there a mantra or a current passage that's feeling really good to you right now? (laughs) Um. (laughs) So my, my phrase that's been kind of dancing around in my head recently is, is not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> what? I've and, never heard that before. <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah, and totally different like wavelength than we've been on. No, but I, love um, it. I actually picked that up from um, one of my favorite women that I worked with in New York. And for me, like so much of coming back to myself and recognizing what I value is just like letting other people get caught up in their swirl around things and make things dramatic or difficult or panicky. Um, and, and just being okay with letting them be the way that they want to be and also being okay with not necessarily going with them all Mm -hmm. the way down Mm -hmm. those rabbit holes. Um, so, so that's, that's been my recent act of self. I love that though. And I love the the touch (laughs) of humor. It's not my monkey. Yeah. So it's like acknowledging that you can be empathetic and, you know, sit with them on how they're feeling, but you don't have to immerse yourself in what's theirs. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. I really do think that this episode is going to hopefully resonate with a lot of people. I know I feel lighter and I always feel better after talking to you. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again so much for listening. If you're loving what you're hearing, I would be so grateful if you'd head over to iTunes and leave a quick, honest review. When you show this podcast some love, it helps the podcast to grow organically and land in the laps of those who are also on their way to living a more simple and mindful life.